Remember the near-term forward spread? That was the part of the yield curve, or at least related to the yield curve, in which the Federal Reserve economist Jay Powell said last year, this is the part that we pay attention to. Forget all those other parts of the yield curve. Forget the two-year, 10-year spread. Anything else that you've heard on the mainstream media or anywhere else, we only watch this one part because, as Powell said, it has all of the explanatory power of the yield curve in this one succinct number that is consistent with the language that economists actually speak. And then that near-term forward spread, which had been enormously steep at the time Powell said this, plummeted through last summer into the fall. And by early November, the near-term forward spread, the one that we were told to watch by Mr. Powell himself, that one inverted too. And, then once, and ever since it did invert, we've heard absolutely nothing from, and it's as if the near-term forward spread no longer exists as far as the Federal Reserve or the mainstream media goes. But since November, the near-term forward spread didn't just invert, it inverted more, and then a little more, and then a little more, and then more and more and more through the events of last month so that we get to this month, we haven't seen the near-term forward spread as inverted as it is now since the early 1980s. We're going back to 40 years. So already we have a market curve that even Federal Reserve officials say is something you should pay attention to that's already inverted, but it's inverted in a way that we haven't seen in four decades. But here's the thing. And here's the thing I want to talk to Mr. Stephen Van Meter about. Back in the early 80s or the early 1970s, when the near-term forward spread inverted as much as it is now, it signaled a recession because recessions followed. And they were usually pretty bad recessions. But here's the difference. The difference was back in the early 80s and the late 1970s, interest rates were way up here. We had double-digit interest rates, which meant that a near-term forward spread that was 150 or 200 basis points inverted meant the difference between the three-month Treasury bill was at 16% and the forward rate at, say, 14%. Is that the same as the near-term forward spread that we have now, where the, the three-month T-bill is around five and the forward rate is around three? Now, it seems like the spread are exactly, about mathematically, they're exactly the same, are, do, do those two are the two situations, are we talking about two different things? Or is there some difference here? Is there something really important about the fact that, the, first of all, the spread is disinverted, and it's disinverted with rates as low as they are? So let me throw you that question, Steve. We've got the forward spread. We've got the three-month, 10-year spread, too, which is a pretty close approximate, approximation of the near-term forward spread, too. So they're as inverted as they haven't. They haven't been disinverted in a long time, but there's... Interest rates are way up here versus interest rates way down here. Jeff, I think I think it is completely different. You're right. Mathematically, it's the same. So we could we could look at that and say, look, there's no difference here. But to me, where where I really start with this is I go back to late 2018. The curves, I mean, I don't know if there was a day they inverted or a couple of days, but they were getting close. And man, Powell was all over it. Hey, look, we got to do some QE here. We have to fix this. And like you said, it's like, well, let's look at this first benchmark. Well, we cross that. No, no, we don't look at that anymore. Well, here's the second one. Oh, wait, we're there too. And every time we get to a new level, he just slides it out of the way because he has no choice. Because what is he under pressure for? 
you have to bring inflation down. Now, of course, we can laugh about that because we know the Fed cannot bring prices down through monetary policy. I mean, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, they, they don't call up stores and say, hey, can you lower your prices because we're raising rates? I mean, it's absurd. But when we think about it, it is absurd. The challenge, Jeff, that I see here is back in the 80s, the Fed, assuming that was they were going to cut as the curves were telling them to and they needed to cut, they had a mountain of margin. I mean, if you're at, you know, 16 percent, I mean, you've, you've got a long way to go to cut today. And I know a lot of people over the years, and I've made the statement that, look, we could possibly see the entire curve get nearer to zero. The question is, how does that happen? Well, you're seeing it shape out now because if the Fed does go back to zero, which I think you and I both agree that they will because they've been there twice. So you probably going to go back there again. What does it mean for the rest of the curve? And then you start to wonder, what does it mean for the global economy, the U.S. economy and everything else? It doesn't mean anything good. And it's not just the, you know, it's not just the, as far as interest rates go. I mean, that's it's not just we're, we want to put it in something beside the perspective of the Federal Reserve, which I know we're supposed to do. We're supposed to we're supposed to filter everything through. Oh, what is this going to do about the FOMC? But I think there's a there's a more important fundamental message in the in the spreads being as inverted as they are. And it, it's not just the near term forward spread. It's not just a three month, 10 year spread. Talk about sulfur futures, three month sulfur futures, because euro dollar futures don't trade anymore. So we have to talk about three month sulfur futures. But that curve. That's a couple hundred basis points inverted, too. And as you're just saying, Steve, I think it's really about the zero lower bound, that the market sees the conditions unlike the 1970s and 1980s. The market is saying rates want to go back down to zero. And the 1970s was we're going to have a recession and rates are going to become more normal. They're going to go for an extreme high, which was consistent to inflation. A recession comes, supposedly takes some of the inflation off, and they go back down to something more normal. We have the exact opposite situation here, where rates are actually trying to get toward normal by going higher, and the market is saying, nope, not going to make it. We can't get anywhere close to normal because the conditions in the monetary system, we've got to talk about this, another bank has just failed uh, as of yesterday. But I mean, that's all part of what the markets are saying. No matter what the Federal Reserve does, no matter what the economy does, it can't get off of zero because the situation hasn't really changed over the last 15 years where the system is incredibly fragile. And I don't mean inflationary fragile. I mean deflationary fragile. So the spreads being as big as they are in comparison to the 1970s, that, you know, that's nothing good right there. Recession, all that. But there is a tremendous fundamental difference with spreads being way up here in the 70s and early 80s versus way down here today. That's that's about what we're seeing in the banking system and deflationary money. Yeah, and it's really scary, Jeff, because I, I like I, I'm thinking and visualizing this as taking a ball and dropping it. And the first bounce, it comes back up pretty high. And you think of this as Fed funds rate. The second bounce, it doesn't quite make it anywhere near the second one. And by the third, fourth, I mean, this thing is dead. So the question here, and I think people should be concerned about is, you know, what happens when the Fed goes back to zero? Now you're talking not just the funds rate being at zero, not three-month T-bill rates being at zero. You're potentially talking at two, three, five-year treasuries being negative, possibly. Ten-year treasuries being negative. And Jeff, if the 30-year treasury yield got near zero, I mean, tell me, nothing good happens if the, if the whole curve hits zero. It tells us 
that the, the patient, right? If we're in the hospital, we're not just in the in a room, we're in the ER and they're shocking the patient going, it's dead. And that's what I'm concerned about is we could be in that situation and the feds, there's nothing anybody could do maybe. Yeah, you go back to that was uh, the worst parts of the COVID pandemic lockdowns, the economy, the crisis in 2020, where you saw the long end of the yield curve get under. I mean, the 10 year Treasury yield got as low as 50 basis points. And I think at a couple intraday intraday occasions, it was down into the 30s, 30 basis points, which is 0.3 percent. I mean, that's just that was I mean, that's the kind of situation I think the Steve that you're talking about here, the economy that's just completely dead in the water, except if we got anything like that, there's no pandemic, there's no lockdowns, there's no non-economic explanation here. And oh, by the way, as I just mentioned, we just had another bank fail or come close to fail. And so I guess it's been taken into receivership, We're talking about First Republic. And it's it's something that, that uh, not everybody was prepared to talk about. We go back to, you know, February. Think about what happened in February. February got that rash of economic data that looked really good. We had January payrolls. The CPI came in real hot. Then we had the major um, January retail sales was huge. And everybody said, you know, not only are we going to, we, we, at worst, we'll have a soft landing and probably we're going to have a no landing. It doesn't even look like the economy is slowing down at all. Then all of a sudden, March hits, and now all of a sudden we're talking about bank failures. I think that was one of the quotes I want to bring up from Warren Buffett from earlier this month, where he said, we saw a country that was not worried about banks until about Wednesday or Thursday of the week Silicon Valley collapsed. And all of a sudden, everybody was all worried about it, the banking system all over the country. That's where the curves are. The curves are pricing a situation where you think everything is fine, and then, bam, out of nowhere, we're... One bank fails and another fails and another one. And they're saying this isn't over yet. No. And I think, Jeff, what you're trying to tell us here in, in many different ways over and over that the curves are telling us there's deflationary money. And when you start to look at our banking system, first of all, we should never be worried about it. That, that's something that no consumer, no depositor, nobody should ever be worried about their money in the bank because that is the bedrock of our financial system. And yet, in a deflationary money environment, the banking system doesn't really work very well. And that's what we're starting to see. And everyone's kind of like, just, huh, I wonder what happened. Oh, it must be the Fed. Oh, it must be some unrealized losses on treasuries. Oh, it must have been some bunch of people on Twitter getting everyone else to, to rapidly move their money using their, their cell phone to another bank. And boy, these bank runs are a problem. Oh, no, maybe it's quarrels because he, you know, changed the regulations around and made them too easy. And we just, we just need more regulations. No, the issue we're seeing here is deflationary money. And we start to look broadly out at the economy. And, you know, Jeff, we got a whole bunch of regional Fed surveys and a couple of them. I mean, you start to look at the responses and, and when the interview questions and you're hearing people say, this is the worst I've ever seen it. Or my business is struggling. We can't keep up with inflation. And if we look at that and we see what's going on in the banking system and we look at then the curves are telling us nothing good comes out of this. If this is how bad it is now, and I know it's not horrible yet because, well, the next shoe to drop is unemployment claims skyrocketing, which we could argue is coming soon. We shouldn't be in this situation now because if we're here now, where are we in three months? Where are we in six months? Where are we in 12 months? That's, I think, really the message here is that it's a progression. 
it's one little thing at a time and then another thing and then another thing and another thing. And as Warren Buffett was saying, and as we've been saying, all of a sudden, before you know it, we're starting to talk about the health and safety of the banking system. Now, I know you saw this, Steve, but I don't know if everybody else did. The Federal Reserve issued its preliminary report on Silicon Valley Bank's failure. Just was it yesterday or the day before? And it's funny because you talked about social media. They mentioned social media as if that was part of the deposit run. We didn't anticipate how Twitter or Facebook messages could pre precipitate a depository run on banks. They're looking at everything but the, the wider problem. Here's the thing I, I don't think many people realize. In the 1980s and early 1990s, we had over a thousand banks fail. But when we look back at the 1980s and 1990s, we look at back at them very fondly, especially in terms of money and economy and everything else. We think 80s and 90s were booming. That was awesome. In the 2010s, really starting in 2007 forward, we haven't had nearly as many banks fail. fail. But as they do fail, we, re we really pay attention to them. Because the issue here is not banks failing, as Steve was just saying, it's the background monetary environment behind those. So when a thousand SNLs failed in the 1980s, the monetary system was just fine. It was sort of, it was, it was expunging all the dead wood and getting rid of it. When a few banks fail in the 2010s or in the now in the 2020s, that's a symptom of a bigger, of a, a much more serious disease, which is getting back to what my original premise was. With the curves as inverted as they were in the 1970s, that was a monetary inflationary background. The curves that are as inverted today, but at such lower nominal levels, that's a deflationary background, which is night and day different, which is why we look at the 80s and 90s and say, thousand banks failed, that was no big deal. We look at a couple banks failing today and it's like, holy crap, this is going wrong. Well, Jeff, part of the problem here, I think, is back in the 80s and 90s, we had a lot of banks. So, okay, so few go away, right? I mean, it would be like saying McDonald's closed one of their stores nearby. Look, there's so many of them, you, you don't really even notice that it went away. And But when you're running out of banks and you're starting to see it's not these little marginal, small town, little banks that you're starting to get to these mid-tier banks, some of these you know big banks out of you know San Francisco, like First Republic, you start to wonder then, how far up the chain does this go? And then who's actually immune to it? Because as you said, the policymakers are just pointing fingers all over the place. Oh, it's those YouTubers again, you know, man, we shouldn't let people electronically transfer their money. Boy, we didn't see that coming. No, it has got to shut down the misinformation, Steve. It's all misinformation. Absolutely. I think that consumers right now were getting nervous because they don't know if their bank is next. And you know, again, we talk about the bedrock of our financial system. The last thing the government wants is people to get upset and nervous about the banks because there's nothing more deflationary than a banking crisis on top of a curve inversion. Yeah, it's, it's all those things coming together. And I think that's what the curves are telling us. We've got the low level of interest rates, which says deflationary background. You've got the steepness of the inversion, which means nothing good as far as the economy. You put those two things together and it really gets you into the situation of Steve, as you were saying earlier, where we really could see nominal yields on treasuries get down into, into that same territory again, which would suggest that the economy is not maybe DOA, but pretty close to a situation where we don't we, we don't really want to be talking about this. I mean, it, for most people, this is a major surprise. Uh, this is, you know, 
Everybody has been led to believe that over the last several years, inflation, 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 there's so much money around the world. The Fed printed, uh, the government printed helicopter money. And I think that's part of the problem that people are having is here we have what seems to be the exact opposite. Now we're talking about banks failing, not enough money, there's not enough circulating money and deflation. So it, it's it's really difficult for people to put their finger on it, which makes it even more difficult or more, it makes it much worse because if people don't understand what's going on, they can accept the SNL crisis, right? They could say, hey, banks are failing. We understand what's, we kind of understand what's going on there. But if banks are just suddenly failing left and right, they're, you know, it's like they're just dropping like flies and nobody has really, you can't blame YouTube. You can't blame, I mean, come on, that's just stupid. It, you, when the when that's when that's what they what the public hears from authorities, they start to think, okay, there's something else here. I need to be prepared for, and then it becomes that downward spiral. You're right, Jeff. Because what we haven't heard from any of the policymakers is what it is, and I think you and I are probably as close to what it could be. And as we've talked about, we don't know exactly. Uh, in years to come, we will know, and we can just see all the circumstantial evidence that the curves are telling us, and all the other things we're seeing. But, you know, when you, we think about uh, what's going on in the banks here, if people believe in monetary policy, and while you and I don't, you know, we, we don't believe in that fairy, a lot of people do. And so if you believe in that and you believe in the Fed and you look at the Fed's margin for error now, which is, I'm just going to say pretty close to zero, not to make a pun of them going back to zero. But what happens, you know, I, I'll, I'll put this out there. Let's say the Fed goes back to zero and then they turn on the QE engine and it doesn't do anything. Then what's the only next step? Well, you get Congress hopefully to pass some fiscal stimulus. If that doesn't work, and there, and it may work, I'm not saying that it can't work, I'm saying there's a point where none of this works. And we're getting closer to that point than we were back in the 80s when we had a lot of runway to work with this. Today, these policy tools that we've counted on for decades to provide for our economic growth are not functioning. Yeah, and that's that's where the curve that's the low level of nominal rates, that's the low the high level of inversion at low level nominal rates is that when push comes to shove there isn't a lot of room here. And that's the SVB and Credit Suisse, they're sort of the symptoms of that problem. So as always Steve, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, I, I wish it was under much much uh, more cheery and and uh, more optimistic circumstances, but you know, as we've been talking about these things just continue to happen in the way that the markets have been preparing us for. And the more that these things happen and the more the markets look ahead and look at the same kind of thing, you know, it really does. I think we really need to be uh, honest and uh, open about the possibilities here. So thanks for helping me uh, go through those, Steve. Jeff, always a pleasure. We'll see you next weekend. All right. Take care.